O heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, where our table are present and fill us all things, treasure your blessings and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity, and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. So I wanted to cover the people, I don't know how you guys are reading the, the Matthew's Green book. Have you basically already just kind of read through the whole thing, or are you just kind of reading a week at a time? So the one that you just, I forgot, I didn't bring the book that I was using. <coughs> I was going to cover two chapters today because we missed, was not originally in my mind, I should have known about the all-parish meeting, the annual meeting last week, uh, but I wanted to hit the one where she again talks about redemption stuff. I don't really want to talk about that because we basically talked about that to death at this point. Not that you, oh, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of other things to discuss, and you have specific questions about soteriology, to use the, the fancy word, then you can ask, uh, or we can have coffee or something and talk about it. Um, one thing, part of the challenge in talking about those things is that if you say something like, the Roman Catholic Church says this, or Lutherans say this, or Reformed say this, maybe a hundred years ago you could say that, or 50. No, not 50. Because that's only the 70s or 60s, yeah. 70s, right? Maybe 75 years ago, it was very clear this is what like the Roman Church taught, this is what the Lutheran Church taught, the Reformed Church taught, or the Methodist. That's really hazy now. To so if you could, so certain things that can be said would have been true 100 years ago, but now you can find 15 million ways that somebody might say about something that's not even accurate. I see newly illumined questioning whether or not they need to come here. Yeah. You mentioned a Matthew screen book. I know what the book of Matthew is. I don't know what Matthew Well, I'm not talking the Gospel of Matthew, but this is what we've been doing in catechism class. So, um, I don't, unless somebody has a specific question about redemption stuff, I'm going to kind of assume she does. She's we've talked about it two or three different times, hit it in different ways. We have different metaphors. They say the bottom line is the way that we talk about it uh, is just has different emphases. That's the, like the clearest thing that I can say without having to get into the specific polemics of like the 16th century or something. Right. Uh, and I think there are strengths in the things that we focus on that doesn't come down to like one metaphor or one thing, but is like, a whole cluster of ideas and things that scripture itself has, but a lot of traditions focus on one thing. And they, that's it, right? So, uh, what I really wanted in the next chapter, which is probably the one that you didn't read, if you haven't read ahead, but she kind of walks through, um, starts beginning like through a weekend, so like Vespers, uh, somebody the clamor of Vespers, you know how the services are, there's like, you could look in a book and read about the service, or then when you actually go and experience it, and there's like all of these layers. Uh, I think even C.S. Lewis actually wrote about uh, going to a Greek Orthodox service and talking about how confusing it is compared to if you're in a Western church. So even if you're like the difference between something like Faith Promise and then like a Roman Catholic Mass, right? But they still, when you walk in, you might have an usher who takes you to a seat or something maybe, right? There's, there's still like you sit and then maybe in mass, like you up, down, up, down, and you can kind of fall. And there, but there's still like an order. You go to that place and you're not going to leave that place unless you're going to go get communion or something, right? And then you go back to that spot. Uh, you notice something different about orthodoxy, right? C.S. Lewis talks about how he goes in, there's like, there's some people over there like prostrating, <laughs> there's other people like kissing stuff, there's like some clergyman, I don't even know if it's a priest or not, he's like going around with a censer, like, that's not what his language, but he's just, he's talking about, there's this kind of like, it feels chaotic on a certain level, but it also feels, I always have felt like Orthodox services, there's absolutely a formality to it, you know that you're not in a Panera, right, or a theater, but at the same time, there's a, a little bit of an informality, because it's also human, right, there's kids on the floor, what are you going to do when you have two-hour service and you have a four-year-old? But <laughs> despair. No, don't despair. <laughs> but that that these rhythms of uh, liturgical life that in orthodoxy are really the heart of how we're shaped and formed. Uh, 
it is in coming to the services. The services aren't everything, but the services are the fruit. They are the culmination. They're like uh, the finish line of your week. Because we have, there's like wheels and wheels with our liturgical life that starts at home and then works itself into coming together on a Wednesday night for Vespers or Saturday night for Vespers and then Sunday morning. And if life puts us in situations, work, uh, maybe we live another time zone away at some point, for example, as you will uh, be going to Cookville, right? Yeah. Uh, there becomes, uh, it becomes challenging, but it really is being plugged into, or doing our daily prayers, are actually praying, uh, that we're coming before God, that we're struggling with our passions, uh, that we're giving thanks, like all the things that we do, maybe I could, def like your devotional time, it just has a little bit more structure to it, uh, and then that feeds into the liturgical life that takes those things up. That's exactly what's happening in the Eucharist, right? I was trying, not this Sunday, but last Sunday, the sermon and talking about the Eucharist, with talking about the Holy Spirit falling upon us and upon these gifts offered, is that we are uniting ourselves to Christ. Even in the offering up of the Eucharist, because we are imitating, we are being what we're supposed to be and living Eucharistically, and that is blessed by God and the Holy Spirit falls upon us just like it fell upon Christ at the baptism. So what I'm trying to underline is the importance of uh, the liturgical life being plugged in. There's times, ebbs and flows like life, right? There are times where you can attend more, and there's times where circumstances and realities, but don't lose the tension. And I think this is one of those basic things in the spiritual life is to not lose tension on things. What do I mean by that? It's very easy for us to... Uh, some of us would struggle with, like, if I can't be at every single thing, I'm a failure. Therefore, I'm not going to go to anything. That might not seem logical on paper, but, right, like, there's a lot, like, so there's that struggle. And then the other is, oh, uh, you know, instead of taking it like, oh, the responsibility in this weight, it's kind of like, eh. <laughs> I'll go on a Sunday once a month. That's a sufficient so there's this tension that, and this is the same with anything in the spiritual life, right? It's not complete lackadaisical freedom, kind of like what I was saying in the sermon today, really. Like sentimentalism and freedom that just is chaos. <laughs> then the other is like over-rationalistic or like feeling the weight of reality because you don't actually attend to God in any of that, but you're worried about how you are operating in this to that. So I, I remember I heard one person describe it sort of like this and I find it very interesting to think about this thought coupled with orthodoxy just cause like he said how church is for a lot of people even non-orthodox Okay, and it's different for orthodox we go to church a lot <laughs> um, so they, they, you got like one hour in a service one day a week to reflect inwardly about you and your morals and what you believe and what you stand on. One hour a week is a lot better than no hours a week. But to be honest, what orthodoxy teaches, what it strives for, what a Christian should be hoping for is not even to do that every day, but to live each and every moment by moment like that. That's yeah, a the lot go of the Holy the goal Fathers is to, are teaching. Yeah, the goal is to walk with God, is to communion with God. And that's why we have these patterns. Exactly. This is why we pattern all sorts of things in our life, right? Like we have our daily routines. Well, we, we have, have schedules. Right. We have schedules. Yeah, but we also like Christmas. Like we're in the high liturgy of North American Christmas right now. Christmas will happen. This is, I'm working up to this. Christmas will happen on Christmas Day. And then the next day, it's Valentine's Day. Or so, like, the, the, <laughs> like everything disappears and it's like New Year's, whatever exactly. There's not really, they can't sell as much stuff for New Year's. So they're already on to the next thing, right? And that is a liturgy. What I mean by that is you are being formed and shaped in your desires, your hopes, all of that. The mall, like the mall is the anti-liturgy to the liturgy. Like, like once Christ is born. Or Amazon is probably better. The next <laughs> thing you look for is Pascha and his resurrection and that. Right, Almost but like we're also like on seasons. we're on we're on a daily cycle, we're on a weekly cycle, a and then we're in uh, a uh, I'll say like a seasonal cycle. 
And over time, you get shaped in the, those ways, right? You know, September, so in the middle of September, the exaltation of the cross, you have the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. In the middle of August uh, is the Dormition of the Theotokos, and you have a fast for the two, first uh, two and a half weeks of August. These things, like right now, you're probably like in your head like, how do I know that? I just know it, right? Like you ride a bike for a while. So some of this uh, I'm also talking about, how many of you feel like, you've just completely connected with orthodox hymnody and worship and like like you're plugged in all the way all the way how many of you feel like you're still like it's still new and you're still just trying to figure out yeah so part of the catechumenate process just just well, I said closer yeah so part of the whole process is and why we're having not just the classes because the classes are, again are kind of like we get to talk about certain things but this is really not this is just an hour a week <laughs> if it happens and we're not going to have this until the syllabus that I sent out if you look at that uh, that is correct so far um, it just takes time to marinate and it's okay that you like, I'm sure some of you, the worship that you used to go to, there's things that you get plugged in on an emotional level, which is not necessarily bad, that it's going to take a while before the hymns hit you in a way, like they do me now, because I've gone through multiple baptisms, multiple chrismations, multiple cycles of, like, so I have life worked in with the worship, and I'm like, oh, we get to sing this hymn now, like, I almost forgot, right, because this is the time that we do it, uh, it just takes time, and it's okay for it to take time. Uh, I can still sing some of the hymns from my childhood, uh, and they, they move me if I've been in situations, but I'm now reprogrammed, as it were, or like I, I've changed, my inwardness has changed. It just takes time. So if you, uh, I talk about, especially when folks uh, come into the church to talk about a honeymoon period, that can also happen in the catechumenate too where there's like honeymoon, everything is awesome and all this stuff. And then reality actually starts to show through, right? Like you meet the personalities in the church or somebody says something that hurts your feelings or you don't like X, Y, or Z, or you get on the internet and you discover that Orthodox have crazy people too, like just like everybody else, right? So it is in that marination process and getting into those rhythms, really the anchor is worship and prayer and str actually struggling against those I'll say addictions to make it sound more serious like because we're all addicted to things yeah when we think of like alcohol or sex or maybe our cell phones have come to that <laughs> like level and yeah, all of those things but even down to like our little flares up of anger our little like impatience of like stupid things like all of these little things that we go to instead of just being able to have the patience to deal with and lovingly, forgivingly interact with whatever is coming and saying this is God's will for my spouse to say that thing that just got right under my skin, right? Like, and I know she's right, but I'm not ready to admit that. <laughs> uh, one of the things I wanted in talking about like rhythms and habits and the, the slow marination is to come back to remind us to like, go back to the beginning because uh, it's a very good place to start. Uh, with Hopko's 12 things. Because I think some of you have come in maybe a little bit later from the very beginning. Uh, and if you don't have that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I can give it to you. Because it kind of goes back, and this is, I mean, I think New Year's resolution for an Orthodox Christian, catechumen, doesn't matter, right? Like, it's just to go back to these uh, 12, this is uh, Hopko's 12 things. Do you remember what I'm talking about? The, the article you started? Just go back and revisit it because I'm sure three of them you'll be like, yeah, I, sure, I probably should. Uh, maybe all of them. I, <laughs> I feel like on some level, like all of them on some level apply to all of us and the ways in which we can renew uh, what we are, are striving towards God. Before I leave, could I get a copy of that? Sure. Uh, so revisit Hopko's 12 things. Uh, how are people doing with prayer? I have a question. Hold on. I mean, you're in. So this is for catechumens. So you can ask me questions outside of here. So catechumens, you can ask me some questions. Just <laughs> to, this is dedicated for catechumens. How is prayer going? 
fine. Yeah, it's it's changing a bit for our family, like trying to find the golden mean. Yeah, like find something that is like we can make a little habit from. So we're trying to start small. Like everybody gather in the prayer corner, and we're going to read from a prayer book, which historically our family has not done. Right. And so like just making this a new norm, and you know you, you get maybe halfway through a psalm, and then they're gone. Yep. It's like okay, well that was today, and we'll see what tomorrow's like. So. Yeah. And that is, so that's a little microcosm of life itself in some ways, and the spiritual life. You're like, wake up in the morning, some mornings you're just like, you know, up, make sign of the cross, you're in the prayer corner, you're like on, and then the next day you're just like, I don't want to pray. I, I don't even know if, like, maybe, like, I don't even know if I believe right now, because, I don't know, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't, like, yeah. But the habit to say, even though like my body or my mind or my feelings are saying no, to say, I'm at least going to try to do something. So I'm at least going to stand before God and I'm going to make the sign of the cross. And maybe I'm going to try to eke out a prayer, but just those little steps. And to not count, because I think there's always, again, to go back to that like spectrum, I'm going to go all in. If I'm not doing all of my morning prayers, then I'm doing nothing. I'm like, uh, don't do that. And I'm sure, like, I talked about this a while back, and they're like, yeah, sure, Father, okay. I'm going to say it again, because I think we all get stuck, the ruts or the things, the patterns that we are, have had that we brought here to retrain ourselves about how, even when we don't feel like it, to just go stand before him, make the sign of the cross, honoring him, but it may be that we are not like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not seeing the uncreated light, and like, the heavens aren't opening up, and the spirit is descending, like, but you're still there. And it, and it's like, does that count? Yes, it counts. Is it the best thing ever? No. But welcome to any friendship or marriage or what, like, this is reality. Yeah. Does everybody love their job all the time? Does everybody love where they live all the time? Does there, no. Probably there's just being growing up. Yeah. But for some reason with spiritual things, we don't actually grow up <laughs> and just attend and do the things that we need to do. That doesn't mean just squelch when we're actually like need to attend to things boiling up within us right then that's when you say hi father daniel like i would like to talk to you let's try to figure out a time i might say okay two weeks at 12 30 i can do this or you know we'll schedule something okay yeah so i have a question so i know like we're in the process of like picking our saints and all that um and i know you can like or you like talk to your saints like how does that work or like what? Like it's as simple. Honoring, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds more complicated than it is, especially if you've never done it. Because it's like, what do I do? And if you look at your prayer book, uh, like, for example, my name's day was yesterday. The feast for the Holy Prophet Daniel was yesterday. He's kind of commemorated today, too, and last Sunday. But, like, yesterday was, like, the day for the three whole youth of Daniel. Uh you say, pray to God for me, Holy Prophet Daniel. It's not like talking like, hey, Daniel, how are you doing? (laughs) But there is, kind of like when you you talk to God, there's like, I need your prayers, Daniel. (laughs) Like, I I, I was named for you from, like, my mother's womb. That's, I was named for the Prophet Daniel. And when I was baptized, I was baptized Maximus for Maximus the Confessor. But then when I was ordained, when you get ordained, your name can change. It doesn't always change. Uh, and so I just went back to my birth name because I wanted to re-own where I came from and who I was. And my dad named me for the prophet. So I just went with it. So I pray to Daniel and Maximus. And if there's particular saints, like it's also, I think some people when they get to like trying to pick a patient saint, that they start kind of losing their mind about like, if I choose this one, that means I can't choose that one. It's okay. Because you can still pray to that one too. It's like, it's not like, uh, they don't care. (laughs) Some, like I think I said, I don't know if you're here. uh, I I always suggest like, if you already have uh, like a Christian name. Now, Leanna is a little, Anne, there's Anne in the middle of it. What's your middle name? Well, it's, what's weird sometimes, because there's a lot of saints, uh, and especially if you start counting like Anglo-Saxon Celtic saints, uh, you start realizing like, oh, my name, so Tiffany, for example, is, I think it's an old French, whatever it is, Tiffany is actually Theophany. It's just morphed 
over time into Tiffany, but it actually goes back to the Feast of Theophany, from what I understand. So there's little things. You're probably, you could go with Anna, or you could, there might be somebody, you know, that, like Juliana is somebody who, she was kind of like a, a saint who, uh, Juliana Lazarevo is who I'm thinking of. She was one of those, uh, like, aristocrat saints who basically spent money to serve people uh, and did a whole lot of, like, uh, service to the poor, for example. Did I answer your question? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think the Sometimes biggest thing for me is not just, like, learning how to pray daily. It's knowing what to pray about. So this is the beauty of prayer books. Because the prayer book shapes and forms you. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't do extemporaneous prayer. But for us who grew up in traditions where prayer is just extemporaneous prayer, I don't know about you guys, I could never do it. I was like one minute in and I'm just like, I don't have emotions about, like I, when I'm like, my girlfriend's breaking up with me. It was like, you know, <laughs> you know the, the uh, psalm about the tears on the bed and all that stuff. Like, oh, I, you know, it's a Tuesday and I have to go to work. That's not really in light. Like, I, I, I don't have that to drive me. So it's like, you know, like the prayers, especially, I mean, this is why when the, the, when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? What did he give them? He gave them the Our Father. There's this idea that, like, this bad interpretation of the, the Sermon on the Mount where it says vain repetition, right? It's not vain repetition if it's not vain, <laughs> right? We're also talking about, in the ancient world, we're talking about vain repetition. This is, like, even with some Hindu stuff. Like, they don't even know what they're saying when they're doing, like, incantations and stuff and their repetition. Or have you ever met Hare Krishna? If you ever visit Manhattan in certain places or certain airports or metropolitan areas, and you'll probably run into Hare Krishna. They just literally repeat Hare Krishna constantly because it's like a mantra for them to seek enlightenment through, right? That's vain repetition. What In having formed formal prayers, it teaches you. I mean, our prayers, especially if you're looking at morning and evening prayers, and beyond like the Shasagyan, which even the Shasagyan, what is like the thing that you walk away with our prayers? Mercy. Mercy? I like Forgiveness. that. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Story Re- of Christ. I feel like I get that renewed in me every time. Like the, the core elements of exactly. it, right? And yeah. a lot of that is, I'm a sinner. Well, <laughs> That's yes. what I always like. Yep, I'm a sinner. Yep, I'm a sinner. I'm saying it a different way, and I'm saying it a different way because I need you to save me, right? Even the Josagian prayers. Uh, you know, holy God, holy mighty, holy mortal, have mercy on us. Mercy, like all of these, it's glorification, but it's also constantly, because it's also, it's very easy when it's just your feelings and your extemporaneous praying that you're just kind of floating. But when you have set prayers, and there's, again, spectrum, right? You can use set prayers and just check out. And that's not the point. Is that a child? I knew it was. <laughs> um, his ball, boys and their balls. Uh, so there, there is uh, in prayer using the prayer book, uh, basically being shaped and formed. And if you don't have a prayer book, I mean, we can get you one. Uh, I give a handout that had. Uh, a basic where I would say kind of starting point that was an edited form of what you would find in our prayer book. Because to be honest, what is in our prayer book for morning and evening prayers is basically a monastic cell rule where you would go to matins in the cathedra, in the church, with the brothers or the sisters, uh, fathers or mothers actually, if you're fully in. uh, And then you would, when you go to your bedroom, basically your cell, then you do prayers there. And that is basically what our morning and evening prayers is. So that's also why it's kind of repetitious. So I, what I chose was kind of like great highlights of morning prayers and evening prayers because it seems a lot if you've never done it before. But when I encourage, especially like what uh, Matthew was talking about, is when you're doing it, you need to start off and get used to like five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. Have that down pat before you do the 25-minute thing and start adding stuff on and commemorations for patriarchs and bishops and the dead. and That's all there, but 
And if you ever want to do something like that and you're not at a point yet to add it on to all of your other stuff, you can always just like sometimes like, okay, say if someone close to you, like a family member died, read, do some prayers for the dead or yeah. something like that. You know? So I'll say if you desire to pray more, I'm not telling you to not pray more. <laughs> I'm just saying create a ha- you want to create a habit so that it, like anything worthwhile. Vamanos. <laughs> and, uh, I, I have a Hold on. You, did you have a question? Um, sort of, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, I was definitely, like, admittedly, like, skeptical about the prayers before because I, cause I grew up with, like, you just, you just start, like, talking, you know? And yeah. So that was kind of what I was around. But I found, like, when I, when I started doing the prayers, I, like, put them all on a Google Doc and printed them yeah. out and then just, like, literally put them on my wall because uh-huh. I felt stupid, like, reading them off my phone. But... I did it, and I felt like I, it was everything that I wanted to say, but I, like, just couldn't put the words together, you know? It was more, like, it was that and more of, like, like I love, like, getting, like, the whole, like, Christ story over and over again every morning, and that's just been really helpful for me. But that, then I have yeah, one more question sure. tacked on to that after you can go Nope. Them. I was going to say, so what's the difference between crossing yourself and then, like, the, the Prostration? Yes. I, All right. I, There's I, different levels. Seriously, Bominos. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes. Mom abandoned me. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So there's just kind of like the typical bow. There's a lot of times in church you'll see people bow and kind of like, like they're kind of yeah. just, their body is even more than that. Uh, then you'll have... Especially see this once we get to land. Uh, so there's like when you come up to venerate an icon, there can be kind of like down to the ground, which is uh, the Greek word is metania, which is actually goes uh, to the root of metanoia, which is repentance. So it's kind of like you are bowing down before something. And then once we get to Lent, uh, you'll have the full prostration, which is the, all the way to the ground and then back up. During services. Oh, at a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> Every service. <laughs> Sunday, because it's resurrection, we don't do that. Uh, but with you, like coming to a pre-sanctified on Wednesday night, like when we start getting up to Lent, like cancel your appointments. Like there's just a lot of services, and they are uh, immensely meaningful. I love the pre-sanctified liturgy, uh, but there's a whole lot of prostrations in that. So just watch what other people do, yeah. generally. Ask questions. And, if you, and ask questions. Okay. Yes. Um, I had it described to me, likely oversimplified, but it, it, and you can tell me if it's right or not. But so we're just we're praying, but with our body. Right. And so the the metania versus just crossing yourself. The difference is between like thank you and then thank you very much. Like just yeah, an kind exaggerated of a, prayer with your body. Right. So it's also in the church we have uh, everything is hierarchical. Everything has its place, and once you have at least three things, that means there's a triangulation. Like, there's always, I'm trying to say, reality itself is hierarchical, right? You don't get the plant without the seed. Like, that has to come first. So in the church services, if you start realizing this, it's not usually the first thing, but you'll notice we always do, like, particular patterns. Like, we'll always pray for uh, the bishops ahead of the priest, and then the late, like, there's always these, and then we have categories of saints that we even have them categorized about uh, who kind of has primacy is not really the right word, but uh, so it's the same with like solemnity. This is more of a Latin phrase and it doesn't matter. It's just, uh, so for example, Daniel and the three holy youth yesterday, that is, if you were in a monastery named for the prophet Daniel, you might've had a vigil the night before and then liturgy, like you would maybe do the cross procession outside Etc. Right. For me, that was I was invited to go to St. George and do liturgy with Father Dionysius because Father Dionysius, his name today was also yesterday. So we shared names day because there's a Dionysius of Zanthanos, uh, which is a, mm, a middle like six, four hundred years ago, Greek priest, basically, who's been canonized. But it's on that day because he was Daniel before. That's part of the reason why. Um, so we share a name. So for me, like that's when I celebrate our names day. So for me in the calendar, it's more of a thing, right? So <clears throat> these heights, that means like when we get to Lent, uh, or if we, so for example, there is a, um, 
a wonder-working icon of St. Anne at the monastery in Pennsylvania at St. Tecon's. Uh, she just visited in Georgia the, the abbot took down to St. Innocent's. Uh, so if she was to come visit us via the icon, would go up, then you would be doing like full Matanya's of like reverence for like, thank you very much, right? Like it's more um, intense. Like, like you are prostrating and you're really understanding you did give birth to the mother of God. God who gave birth to Christ who is God, our, our life and the word of God. Like, yeah. Any other practical questions flowing from anything? How is fasting going? Well, can I can I ask one more question about that last topic? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have things I want to hit. So, is fasting going okay? Bumps, bruises, falling down, standing up. I know some of you have asked me specific questions. Are ramen noodles fast friendly? <laughs> yes, but they're not good for you. <laughs> okay. I so I yesterday I had a, a packet of ramen noodles, but I put shrimp and vegetables and not the whole pack and like some chili sauce in it to make it palatable. I mean, I there is I have a nostalgia for ramen noodles and when I was nineteen too, but that's just a sodium bomb. Yeah. So my my suggestion: you're young, put vegetables in it. Cook them up and put it in there with it. Oh, no. Put half the packet in. You need vegetables. <laughs> like part of what the fasting does is it re- it reconnects you with God, but it also reconnects you with like yourself, uh, and that you need to eat good, normal, real food and not the crap that we call food because we eat a lot of crap. Not McChicken. Sorry, that's kind of bull. <laughs> we eat a lot of crap, so it's hard. I mean, it's hard. I mean, just look like how much bread was out here this morning. Quite a lot. Quite a lot. That's kind of okay. I'm not whatever. But like, what I'm saying is, it's, like, it's when you have like those options, choose vegetables. So I have another question about the fast. No. <laughs> Shh. Oh. You're not a catechumen. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Just. So, any other questions about fasting? All right, Christmas and theophany. Uh, as you see, we'll have. I highly encourage, and this is probably different. I know some Protestant churches are canceling services on Christmas Day. I'm sure there are some around here. I don't know. I haven't looked. I just know it's been a buzz in media. And New York Times even wrote something about it. We uh, promise. Like, we never had... Christmas falls on a Sunday? No services. Because it's a family day. It's too much sacrifice. It's just... Uh, so you can see my orthodox mind just goes... Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like Catholic too. Yeah. It's just like, you, what do you do as a Catholic? You go to church. Yeah. <laughs> you go to the vigil the night before. You have mass maybe at midnight. But yeah, if right. you can't go to that, you go to the mass during the, the morning. Yeah, like. Yeah, I don't think we've ever been to church on Christmas Day before. No, that's never happened. So I grew up in it was the same way because we were Church of Christ, and that wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> Still in Scripture, right? Of a certain Not form, right. even beyond that. But so. This, already that, like that's a retooling for quite a lot of folks. Uh, and so it's also challenging. I want to talk about some of the practicality because family, right? There's a lot of families. They do not understand. Why can't we do Christmas Eve the way that we've always done it before? <laughs> so my, my suggestion to you is find some way to figure it out with your family with at the same time trying to come to the services uh, and it might take a while for them to get used to that idea. So maybe ideally you can't come to vigil and liturgy, but you can only do liturgy this year. But you're planning like in your head, like I would like to be able to do more in the future, right? Because again, you don't have, we're not running a marathon right now. We're all prepping. We're all working up towards something. It's also what I like. Uh, this is also the pattern of Christmas, Theophany, and Holy Week is similar where we'll have, there's royal hours only for Christmas, Theophany, and then Holy Friday. Uh, so you can, throughout Christmas Eve, if Christmas didn't fall on a Sunday, we would have had, excuse me, we would have had royal hours in the morning. Then we would have had a Vesperal liturgy, which is basically Vespers where we ta- liturgy gets tacked onto it. And then in the evening, we would have had vigil. Now, can everybody go to all the services on Christmas Eve day? 
Probably not. Could you go to one of them, or could you go to two of them, like the early morning one, then you say, like, I gotta run my errands, or hopefully, well, this year people won't have work on Christmas Eve, but <laughs> I bet some people even have work on Christmas Eve. Uh, and then, yeah, right? So then you have Vigil in the evening. I highly recommend coming to Vigil because we're gonna have what they call it, kids and carols this year. Great. How long does that last? Which, Vigil or kids and like, carols? Vigil, I guess. Or Vigil this year, I, I have edited it down okay. for this because it's Christmas Eve and because we're doing the kids in Carol uh, and because uh, I have four kids too. So I get it. I don't, I can't help. So I hear about it. It's not negative, it's just the reality of it, right? Right, right. So what I, I think it'll be a little under an hour and a half because okay. I've cut quite a bit of stuff to make it work. Okay. If we were in a monastery, I wouldn't do that. We're not in a monastery. I heard there aren't many kids there. No. That's true. Typically. Sometimes they visit and they're in and out the entire service. So, and I've been to vigil at a monastery in West Virginia for uh, the protecting veil of the Theotokos, and they cut stuff. They didn't do everything. Because you also do everything that takes like seven or eight hours. That's so, on like Mount Athos, yeah. So is it okay, like, if I'm not able to, like, come to, like, later on in the service? Or is it no, please come. Okay. Divine Liturgy, you really should be here before Blessed is the Kingdom. The very beginning. Which is probably confusing because we already have the hours, so you're probably wondering, they seem to always do church instead of, like, when does it really begin? But that is the beginning when I say blessed is the kingdom. Well, you also, like, it's not just, like, saying it. You're, you're basically shouting it to the ceiling. Yeah, there you go. The <laughs> I do try to put an emphasis on it. Right. Yes. Okay. So, like, at Vigil, say you work to five. You ain't going to get here at five. Come. In, in the old country, or if we were, because they'll have like monasteries like in the suburbs or like even in the heart of like Moscow, Belgrade, yeah. Bucharest, like there's monasteries in the city. There are people who will come in and they'll go to Vespers and at the end of Vespers, they'll leave. Our vigil for Christmas is different because it's a different service in the mountains. So come when you can and stay. If you had pressing matters, like say for example, maybe there's a family thing that's starting at seven. Maybe you can come from five to six for vigil, and then you got to go because you have to go to the family thing. Thank God you're able to come from five to six. But life happens too. Like you're running late. The heating element on your oven broke, so now you've thrown off like what you because my heating element just broke on my oven. So uh, those things happen. But again, keep the tension. Like, do what you can. Don't just say, Meh. make an effort. Right. Yeah, make an effort. Um, if you can only make it to one, would you recommend? Which one? Yes. Out of everything, like well, Christmas Eve? The, yeah, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I mean, I would say Christmas Day. I but I also know, like, lots of families have a lot of little family traditions around stuff. So, like, Christmas morning, there's a thing. So, like, Chelsea and I had to create our own family things because both of our families had all of these things attached to Christmas Day and Christmas Eve that we can't do <laughs> because we're in church. So, uh, if it's the best for family, uh, I mean, I would say either coming to a liturgy on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, uh, I love vigil, but there's also something in being able to celebrate Christmas and actually be able... Well, you're not fully in yet, but to be able to receive communion on that the, the day of the feast. Does, yeah. the, does yeah. the fast officially break at liturgy on Christmas Day? <laughs> yes. So yeah, at the kids and carols, we'll have fast, friendly stuff. Whether there's dairy on that or not, I'm not looking at the labels. <laughs> I don't mean that. I'm just. We're not a monastery. That's like a technical. And I don't mean that it's just like we're not a monastery, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying like you, people are gonna bring what they're gonna bring. Right. Sugar cookies. So theophany has anyone ever ex nobody's ever experienced theophany. Well, except for me. You're not. <laughs> this is a catechumen class. So theophany is historically Christmas and theophany are actually celebrated together. 
When do we typically end? At like 140? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, I haven't been here for a while. <laughs> Give me a second. Uh, so Christmas and Theophany were actually put together historically, uh, which is kind of interesting, right? Because in our mind, like Christmas, the wet West, like all of us, like Christmas is it. And then maybe if you're in a liturgical tradition, like uh, the Roman church, then you'll have Epiphany, right? Which is Theophany, basically. It depends, and they have a little bit of different focuses uh, in that feast. Like, for example, Three Kings is a, a big deal, right? The Three Wise Men, right? In the East, that's kind of more in Christmas than it is associated with Epiphany, or Theophany. Because even Epiphany, what is the main commemoration for Epiphany for the Roman church? Is it the baptism of Jesus? I was going to say, I think the baptism of our Lord is like the end of the Christmas season. Right. I think. Yeah, so that is like the 12 days of Christmas, right? This is another thing, like to bring and to celebrate the feasts actually in this kind of like festal period, because we don't have any fasting for that, like days on end. Like it's, there's no Wednesday or Friday after Christmas. Like it's fast free, right? It's a real feast. Yeah, it's a feast that elongates. So this is why historically, you, you know, on the first day of Christmas, that stuff, the Orthodox fashion is we're feasting that whole time. It's not just Christmas day and then we go back to the drudgery of life, right? It is that period. Just like Pascha after Pascha, it's the whole bright week after Pascha is fast free and it is festal. Uh, so this is the same with uh, basically like a day or two before Theophany, then uh, we start uh, reverting back to kind of normal, and then Theophany picks up. So uh, Theophany is a celebration of the baptism of our Lord. It is, in many ways, the church, the way you see it, and you'll hy the hymnody, you'll hear it. It's kind of like a little Pascha, because our Lord is being baptized. He's going to the depths of, I might probably talk about this in, in catechism in more detail, because... I, I would like to do the prayer that we have because we go out, we do a blessing of water. Uh, we will go out to a river and throw a cross into the river to bless the waters. Um, this uh, becomes then that water that we blessed at the Feast of Theophany is then taken to everyone's homes. And that is where the, we then have house blessings. Uh, I would say sign up for a house blessing uh, if you can because why not? Uh, go ahead and have your house blessed. There, there's not, you don't have to be already in via baptism and chrismation uh, to have your house blessed. Um, it is, uh, and I, I want us to look at some of the specific hymnody in the prayers because I'm sure the themes from it are going to be new to you. Uh, they're not in many ways because it's obviously Bible, <laughs> just a different <coughs> slant than maybe what you're used to. So Christmas. His book, in, uh, his book ends with then turning to the Feast of Theophany and the, the party continues, like the feasting continues, uh, because Theophany is, is one of the great feasts of the church. It usually gets downplayed in our lives because, well, who has January 6th off? Everybody has Dan December 25th. Nobody thinks about January 6th because you're a student. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So one of, the, one of the great things about being a student is you often will have, because your schedule... And this, I think this is changing. Often you have a little bit more free time than the average bear. So to be able to take advantage of that because life then kicks in and you get a nine to five or whatever, you know, work happens. Yeah. I'm going to be a professor, so I'm just going to be a professor. <laughs> All over again. God bless you on every level. Um, <laughs> and you really aren't going to have any free time. Oh. So I if you regret, if you have boundaries, so you can I should figure it regret out. early re re graduating. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I just I just graduated. That's fine. So, uh, I'm trying to think. Does anyone have any questions? I, I suggest with Christmas and Theophany, and especially if you want to email me, I can send you to you know you can go on the OCA website. Especially Rolla Hours has a whole lot of Old Testament scriptures. I mean, you go up the page for when we do Royal Hours on the OCA website. It's like, like, so that you can see what the Old Testament themes that we're drawing from for uh, uh, the Nativity of Christ. I, I'll probably live stream the Royal Hours too, so that could be something that you might be at work and you have the ability to listen to something that you could pull it up in the background and still be able to hear the hymnody or uh, hear the gospel readings because there's a gospel reading at every hour that we do. Um, 
I kind of think of Royal Hours as kind of being like Evensong. Are any of you familiar with Evensong? It's an Anglican tradition where they basically, you probably are familiar with it from, if, does anyone listen to like Cathedral English, like Christmas music? I'm a weirdo then. Okay, you. <laughs> where it's like you have a lesson, you have the Old Testament readings that they do, and then they have hymnody in between. That's kind of what Royal Hours is. So that's why I kind of jokingly call it like it's our even song. It just happens in the morning. Is that Friday morning? Friday morning. Okay. And it's only on Friday morning because Christmas falls on Sunday. So it, it the, the logic of the Tipicon starts moving things around from what it would normally be. So Because is, when, when Sunday is like a sacrosanct thing. It's like resurrection and the folk, like even with the, the feast falling on the day, it's still a day of that affects how we're going to do things. Okay, so on Friday morning there's those hours, and you said they have like a hymnody in the middle of. There's a whole Old bunch Testament of Old Testament. There's a whole bunch of hymnody in Old Testament readings and gospel read, epistle and gospel reading. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and you you mentioned the Friday what before Christmas or the resurrection? Before Christmas. Before Christmas. Um. What's, so, what was super significant about that hours versus most of the other hours? I missed that. One. Great question. So, royal hours. There's a whole history here. Part of the reason why it's called royal is not because just because it's a feast of our Lord, but because that would be if I'm remembering my liturgical history correctly, which there's two thousand years to try to recall in different ascensions and different realities. But it was when uh, the um, the emperor was actually around, as right. in like in Constantinople. So he would be at that service. Uh, I could, if I'm remembering correctly. Don't, height, I, this will be recorded, so don't quote me. <laughs> Wait, what? The other thing is, it, it, what it is is basically the hours that we normally do, they just get ballooned with more hymns and more uh, readings. But the structure of it is still the third hour or the sixth hour for the okay. first. It just gets ballooned with stuff. And the service. This is all of our services, really. If you come on Holy Week, you're like, this is so different. And I'm like, this is matins with a few extra hymns in it. Probably the reason why you don't probably realize is because you're not really used to matins, but it's not actually that different. It's just we do it at night for a whole host of reasons, but go away. <laughs> This is a completely different sign. Nope. But what? the emperor had the service of the royal hours. Was it in the Hagia Sophia? Oh, of course they did the services in the Hagia Sophia. Awesome. I, I don't know how they did it without a sound system, but that's a whole different thing. Uh, so smart. <laughs> yeah, it, it echoes in there. So, um, this is the same with like uh, the Vesperal liturgy, just Vespers and liturgy squashed together. So you don't get the antiphons at the beginning, but it's just most of Vespers. <laughs> Those of you with children know. <laughs> Carry your lace on. Any other practical questions about the feast coming up or theophany? Because we'll hit theophany again once we get around. I kind of wanted to just talk, because the next chapter, so we'll just consider that chapter done. It's kind of like church, and there's like. Uh, somebody who's preparing for confession. I, I did want to hit on confession, reception, and confession just a little bit. Um, that cycle that I was talking about, the daily, the weekly, the seasonal, one of those cycles is confession, repentance, right? And that we are working on that, discovering things. Uh, and then so there are times where we're going to schedule. Uh, I have encouraged here to do it quarterly, which fits He's going to get a talking to in the car. <laughs> Which fits with the four major fasts that we have. Joseph. Yeah, I know. You can just leave me alone, bud. I'm almost done. How many more minutes? You're making it longer every time you interrupt. <laughs> when will you be done? Uh, probably close to the eschaton. <laughs> Shut the door. He doesn't know what eschaton is. It'll be a teaching moment. Uh does everybody know what the eschaton means? No. The eschaton is the second coming. Oh. <laughs> Eschatological, that means like uh, the end times. Oh, okay. That's interesting. The teaching moment. <laughs> Sorry, seminary. Uh, <laughs> you used to everybody throwing out all these Greek words. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, 
What are they talking about? C confession. So doing it quarterly, we have four great fasts. Does, does anybody remember what the four great fasts are? Lent. Yes. Apostles. Good. Apostles. That would probably have been one of the hardest ones. Nativity. So, right, the Nativity or Advent, what we're in right was now. Was the Apostles Fast the same one as, uh, is it the receiving of the Holy Spirit, or is that different? No, Pentecost, Pentecost. is not does, is not attached to a fast. It's really except we don't get to fast. We, get, we, we are freed from fasting. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Dormition yeah. in August, right? Now, Apostles and Dormition can be kind of short, right? Dormition is always like about two and a half weeks. So... That I'd say that as a rough thing. When the fasts come, it should be like, I should probably go to confession. Um, because you're always going to fight yourself to go to confession. Uh, you're always going to be tempted to not go. Even if you've done it for years. Right? Because who likes to go and own up? Who likes to do it anyways? <laughs> who likes... To do it in front of somebody who you think, and I'm going to tell you right now, like, I, I haven't heard everything, <laughs> but I've heard just about everything. So, and it, I'm never like, oh my, right? Like, most of the time I'm like, yeah, if it wasn't for about three things, it, that could be me, right? Like, and by three things, I'm like, I could have made one bad decision at one point. You know, we all do stupid stuff. And we do it constantly <laughs> because we're blind to it. Part of what confession does is it allow it gives us that time to be able to actually look at ourselves with some like sustained attention. Because most of the time we're like, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to deal with that. Admit your faults before it's done. Yes. And a priest. And a priest is there. And I say that I'm a witness. Uh, and there's times I'll ask questions. Uh, there's times that I might not. And if I don't say anything that doesn't mean anything's wrong uh it doesn't uh, don't interpret it right it's okay there are times i might ask questions don't interpret that <laughs> oh, yeah. something is is wrong because i ask questions because a lot of the questions i'll ask are things like one might like clarification what do you mean because sometimes people can be vague and i don't mean by vague like I want to know what exactly the sin was and what time <laughs> This is really interesting. If, if it gets to something that's actually interesting, I'm going to say, please be as vague as possible because I don't really want to know the specifics of things, right? I'm a human too. <laughs> I can be tempted. And I don't want to be in confession being tempted by something that you're telling me, right? Um, don't tell me stories, right? My aunt did this thing and there was this blah, blah, blah. Imagine I say this all the time. It doesn't matter. I still hear stories all the time. Uh, it's different from, you know, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, and depending on what's going on. Like last night, there was like twenty something people who went through confession, so I was here for like three hours. I'm not probably going to ask a lot of questions when there's a line out the door. So, if you want more guidance about something, just ask. Uh, and at some point we'll be able to talk. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's not, depending on the season, etc. And now as we continue to grow, it's becoming even harder <laughs> to, but advocate for yourself when you need help about something. Uh, but confession is not always going to be that time where we're going to be able to have a pastoral counseling session about your struggle with anger, right? That might be something you shoot me an email and say, like, do you have some resources or prayers or can we talk about something? And then we can sit down and talk. Um, but confession itself is part of that rhythm uh, that we kind of have, just like prayers and other things, kind of have to force ourselves to do even when we don't want to do it. I went to confession on Friday and it's like always that little lingering thing in the back of the head, like, is there, am I going to, could I get sick somehow to just <laughs> <laughs> sidestep this thing? Because it's embarrassing. You might think like, oh, like, I, I could think of some things that would be really embarrassing. And the other things that, like, you think aren't going to be embarrassing, but, like, they just, you're like, man, I'm a petulant child and I'm 38 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how, like, when you actually start looking at yourself and dealing with, like, it can, it's shameful. But to, the way that uh, St. Sophroni talks about confession, it is part of the beauty that releases you in confession is bearing the shame by bearing the shame as in being able to own it 
And then afterwards, you begin to let it go. Yeah, because you have heard the words of absolution, right? Like, go for like, you are forgiven. That doesn't mean the struggle doesn't end. Because most of the time, also, you're going to be in repeat mode for most things. Sorry, that's the, that's the, the deck, the hand that has been uh, handed to you. And that's because of your mom and your dad and blah, 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 blah. It's all because of those things. But we're still active and we're still responsible and we're still the ones doing those things. Mm-hmm. That's another thing in saying about my mom, mom, dad, blah, 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 blah. Don't talk about other people. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. It's really easy to gossip. do a confession and be like, not just gossip, but basically you're confessing other people's sins. Like, yeah. My, my, you know, my aunt did blah, blah, blah to me. I keep using aunt because that's a, like a little bit further away from the reality of like moms and grandmas, but like, or my friend did, da, 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 my wife did, da, 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 and just, it's, I, I've even had to say like, so what sin are you talking about? <laughs> Just like, let's get this back to like what we're here for, which is not tattling on somebody else to me, <laughs> which is different from asking for like, I, I'm struggling because my husband really deals with anger issues and it's, I'm scared. That's a different thing, right? That's not confession, but it might be conf- like that might come out in that space and I'll have to say like, we, we should sit down and talk about this. Uh, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, what helped me in that regard was learning uh, for the Roman church, there's three categories, the sin of detraction, gossip, and calumny. Calumny is when you're talking about others and you know it's false. Gossip is when you don't know if it's true or false. And the sin of detraction is when you're saying something that's true that's hurting their reputation like slander. Un- unnecessarily, where you should always try to protect the reputation and you're saying something true that's hurtful without a good reason to share it. You, you, it's not something that they need to know. It's a, uh, Guilty. Yes. <laughs> uh, somewhat of a topic change, but from the Vespers chapter. Yeah. Are you, okay, and, and feel free to table this for later, but she goes on this little like works versus faith thing. Like historically, the West has had this distinction, but we as Orthodox have this totally different paradigm. Uh-huh. I was like, I need to review that section because I didn't fully grok it. But if you wanted to like try and put that into different words. <laughs> All right, I'll try in a shorthand that. way. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what she said. Um, what I would say, so we aren't, we haven't, we didn't get stuck with, um, I'll say Lutheran for lack of a better phrase, which is a certain kind of hyper Augustinianism. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But that <laughs> is, and I'm sure you've heard about this. It's like this obsession with, uh, I can't earn my salvation. Uh, all of my things are but, quoting from Isaiah, right? Like all of my righteousness is but dirty clothing or something. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Dirty rags. Um and therefore, if it, you get into this kind of mind, like, I can't do anything to save myself, then I'm supposed to do something, because <laughs> God is also calling me to do it, but I always have to remember that it doesn't really matter what I do, because ultimately it's God who's the one who's saving me. Now, that might be a really bastardized version of it, but that is this, this dialectic. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's I understand out there. where you're getting from. Uh, it's, it depends on the Protestant groups. Some are stronger on this than others. Usually Reformed are a little bit stronger on this. Lutherans can be really strong on it, too. Uh, they have this huge gap between, like, the law and then gospel. And uh, orthodoxy, uh, generally with works, it is seen the ability, because we don't have this, like, God and then us, and we're, there's, like, this almost, like, match between us. But God, because of theosis, I'll use that as the broader framework, God wants to rejuvenate, regenerate, restore us uh, so that we actually can do the things that we're made to do. So for us, it's like grace all the way down. The fact we exist, the fact that we uh, have repented, the fact like he's given us repentance, the ability to repent. So we are not at a zero sum game with him. But he wants to restore us and re- 
bring us back to the correct operating procedures that were in the box when we were supposed to, <laughs> when we came out of the box, that are supposed to operate, right? But we, there's something wrong, right? Yeah. So it's not, um, I think of Ephesians 2 is where I typically go to, right? Which uh, you are saved by faith through grace. I forget exactly how it goes because we don't have this as a mantra <laughs> in the same way. In certain, but uh, not of yourselves, like this language, right? next verse. What is the next verse after these famous lines they go? Because you were made to be his workmanship. So like, yes, you're, we are all saved by grace through faith. Uh, it do, that doesn't have all of the Lutheran reform baggage uh, 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 that's this kind of like justification by faith and you have to believe in justification by faith. Yeah. But if I believe in justification by faith and that's a necessary thing to, to be saved, is that works righteousness because I've now The belief is the work? Right. Yeah. You just get into this, and then Orthodox is just like, what are we talking about? Have faith, St. John Chrysostom in Romans, it's like, what is faith that saves? It's faith in God because you believe that he's going to raise you from the dead. Because that's what Abraham's faith is, right? Go down on Highway 69 and kill your son Isaac, right? That's Dylan's version. But <laughs> right, that, the fact that Abraham believed that God was going to bring him from the dead, yeah. that was the faith that saved not the belief in justification by faith, right? So this is odd thing that can happen for Orthodox when they come to it's like, you have faith in God. His grace is communing with him, right? He is grace, right? You are being restored. And so when he restores you, you're going to start doing stuff. Is it the fact that I'm humble is something that's going to save me? Yes, because God gave that to me. Because God made me, and this is how a human should actually work. So you don't get into this, uh, am I doing, am I focused on my works and uh, satisfied that my works are going to save me? Orthodoxy basically is constantly talking about repentance and relying on the grace of God. Some of this is also just lingo and arguments around certain things that, well, we just don't have those arguments in our circles. That's not what we're focused on. We'll argue about other stuff. Right. We, we argue about other stuff. But not that. We had seven major arguments in our at, church. That at least for the ecumenical councils, besides all sorts of other small, minor ones. Yeah. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I'm kind of fumbling yes. around because I don't remember exactly how she's framed it. Nothing? Hold on. Add, oh. yeah, no, no, she basically, I, you know, from the reformed background, it very much is like that stark difference in my mind. And so just... So let's say like justification versus sanctification. or the, There's like, they're two separate things. Yeah, right. much so. Like Orthodoxy doesn't, I mean, were, were you here for, at the, the end of the baptisms and mm -hmm. chrismations? I said, you're justified. You are sanctified. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't it's, even. It's the uh, same time. Right. Because, yeah. well, and I would also say, like, uh, I think you might be able to say, like, justification by faith. Uh, is, we also, I'm going to have to end with this. Justification is, is just a fancier word for righteousness. Right? You have been made righteous. Christ has covered your sins. Like, he's forgiven you. You've now put him on. But it's not just, like, I'll use Luther. Maybe this will be helpful. Remember Luther said, like, you're just a snow-covered pile of poo? Yeah. Right? Uh, Orthodox would say, you're not a snow-covered pile of poo. Uh, yeah, you have the demons, the dragons, all the, the, the stuff, the sins, the addictions that are in you. But we're trying to kill those things because in sanctify you, you receive the Holy Spirit like, not an idea but he dwells in you your body, and he is transforming you, he is sanctifying you, he's justified you, he's making you just and he's also sanctifying you, making you holy does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's like an inward no. work instead please, don't be annoying <laughs> daddy, I have to tell you, no you don't, you're gonna have to wait Yes, I do. You too. <laughs> no, 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 stop, stop. You're, you've been Orthodox since you were like four months old. <laughs> he doesn't even know what we're talking about at all. Uh, but so it's not this outward transactional thing as much as it is God actually transforming you and bringing you into relationship with him. And all along the way, there's pitfalls, there's struggles, there's fissures, there's fractures, there's issues, but it's not uh, framed in this kind of like, 
I really think what happened in the West, there was this development that was this kind of transactional system that you see in like the transfer of merits in late medieval Roman Catholicism that Orthodox just don't have this idea of transfer of merits. Mm-hmm. Say 10 Hail Marys and you will be able to deduce your bill, your debt to God. Yeah. And then the reformers were just like, what? But what they did is just make a fiat decision and God says, you're good. There's <laughs> still a transaction and, and I know that's not fair to all because I know like Puritans, they, there is ideas of like sanctification. The Wesleyan movement has a strong sense of sanctification, right? The Holy Spirit. But they almost always like constantly comes up against like this transactional justification thing. And they're arguing all the time about what is the relationship between justification and sanctification. And orthodoxy is just like, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Yeah. Just why don't you cry for your sins and like go, go do some prostrations and like focus on Christ. That it might be too like, I'm not trying to over dumb, dumb it down, but at some point it's just like, it gets too up in the sky about stuff that, and I don't think any Jew or like Jewish, like the early Christians, they don't talk like this. If they don't have those arguments, I'm not really concerned about it. With that, we're going to have to end because I'm over. Sorry. <sighs> Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word from mine eyes. I see thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Light and the light of the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.